Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast helping wine students and wine enthusiasts alike to learn about all the wines of the world. I'm Matthew Gorn, and I'm a WCT certified educator, and in this podcast, I explore different wine regions and different grape varieties, and thus interview producers from all around the world to explore the vast world of wine. This episode focuses on the wines of Brazil. I'm interviewing Flavio Bizzato, a winemaker from uh, southern Brazil, and he's going to talk all about the wines, Brazil. Okay, my name is Flavio Bizzato. I am a, a, a chief winemaker at Bizzato. So I'm graduated in uh, winemaking and viticulture studies in the local school in Baton Rouge, Alves, which is, in, which is in the center of the, the wine producing region in, in the south of Brazil which is the main region, main wine producing region in Brazil, okay? So I am also one of the founders of Pizat Winery, which is dedicated mainly to fine wine production, uh, not only wine, but also sparklings uh, by traditional methods. So this is my resume. Before we focus on your region, uh, can you give an overview of Brazilian wine? The, the different regions and styles of wine made in Brazil. Yeah, oh, uh, the, the main the main uh, Brazilian wine region, or Brazilian wine making and wine production in Brazil is located in the very south of Brazil. is a is a place uh, called uh, Rio Grande do Sul. is one of the states of Brazil, uh, which was uh, settled by Italian immigrants by the end of the 19th century. So the Italians brought with him, with them, uh, the the wine production, the grape growing and wine production tradition from Italy. Uh, this part of Brazil, uh, different than the other parts of Brazil, is uh, tropical, subtropical to temperate climate. So uh, in the very south of Brazil, we do have the four seasons. So it is not a tropical or equatorial region like the remainder of Brazil. Uh, of course, uh, we are in the transition uh, between the, the tropical and the temperate climate regions. So we do have uh, good seasons, not so good seasons, thanks to some rain. Uh, like right now, for example, we are in the bud burst uh, as the stage of the vineyard. But uh, for example, in this week, we, we did have a lot of rain and also uh, uh, some problems related to the excess rain. Not mainly to the vineyard because we are just in the bud burst uh, uh, time of the year, but uh, some rivers located uh, nearby uh, transported. So we are we are facing several problems of flood in our region. Okay, right now, uh, as I mentioned before. 85 to 90 percent of the wine produced in Brazil is made in our region called Serra Gaúcha. What's the meaning of Serra Gaúcha? Or Serra Gaúcha uh, is something like uh, the hills just after the Pampa region that starts in Argentina, comes to Uruguay and the south of Brazil. So just before reaching from the, let's say, 
from the Andean uh, uh, mountain chain. Uh, then start the Pampa Gaucha, the plains the, from, from the Gaucho region. And then just after uh, going uh, to the Atlantic Ocean, the other side of the South America, uh, we do have a mountain chain again. So this mountain chain is called Serra. Serra is the Portuguese word for that mountain chain. And Serra Gaúcha, thanks to the Gaúcho, by the end of the Pampa starts a mountain chain. And then we do have also the Atlantic Ocean. So this is the location. Uh, the, rest part, the, the remainder part of Brazil also produces wines. So we do have uh, production of wines in several states, except by the, the Amazon forest or the Amazon region. Uh, and the border of uh, Paraguay and up mainly to the west. Because going to east, going to Atlantic Ocean side, nowadays we do have also production in the tropical area called uh, southwest of Brazil or sudest, southeast of Brazil. In this part, during the summer, they, they do have a lot of, of, uh, of uh, rain. So they extend, they extend the, uh, the, the grape growing season making a second plan during uh, the summer and then the cycle starts again and they harvest in the winter time. In their winter time they don't have cool time like in the south of Brazil but uh, instead uh, it's uh, not so hot but it's, 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 it's sunny with a lot of sun and also it's dry so they make uh, a winter harvest. So they call their wines the winter harvest wines in the southeast of Brazil. Uh, it's, it's just in the beginning because that technique started to be spread uh, during the 2010s, 2011, 2012. So, but they are making uh, very nice wines. Of course, it's an expensive region thanks to the fact that you do have uh, extended grape growing season, yeah? And also, um, very strange for uh, the traditional uh, regions of grape growing people, we do have also grape growing in the northeast of Brazil. In such place, we do have an equatorial, near the equator line. Uh, if you go to the west, you have the Amazon forest, but in the east, in the other side, uh, near, uh, through the Atlantic Ocean, we do have a dry season uh, or dry uh, climate uh, every time of the year, low rain, so no rain at all in some years, and they use irrigation to control the grape growing season. Since they don't have cold time because you are in the equator line, uh, since they don't have uh, lack of sun or uh, illumination, they use irrigation to control the grape growing season. In such place, it's possible to have uh, in, the, in the neighborhood some vineyard in the harvest time some vineyard in the 
in like the winter time, uh, the, 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 the vineyard is in, is in the pruning time, for example, and in the nearby, some vineyard with the bud burst, thanks to controlling the season using irrigation and also some hormones to wake up uniformly the, the, the vine. So this is called uh, the northeast side of our production. But again, they are in the beginning. Uh, in fact, uh, not so in the beginning. They start to producing grapes in the past, mainly to, uh, to table grapes. And then they start to make wine by the end of the 1990s. And nowadays, we do have a very uh, two, two big wines located there. Miolo which is started in Vale dos Vinhedos inside Serra Gaúcha and also a company called Rio Sol, which is part of a Portuguese group called Global Wines, Portuguese from Portugal, yeah, Global Wines. So uh, they make uh, very good wines by now. So they, are, they are trying to, to improve the final results in the last 10, 12 years thanks to the establishment of this company called Miolo and thanks to the establishment of this business from global, global wines from Portugal. So um, Brazil, a very big country. Let's, let's focus on your region. Which grape varieties do you um, plant and make wine from? Yes, in our region, uh, the, in fact, historically, uh, in Brazil, the, the dominance or the majority of the grape growing uh, in Brazil is related to American grapes wines from Vitis Labrusca, like Isabella, Ives, and so on. Uh, Labruscas and hybrids. Uh, because when the German, the Germans came uh, before the Italians, yeah, by the beginning of 19th century, they even the Portuguese people that discovered Brazil, they tried to introduce Portugal or Portuguese grapes or European grapes at all, German and also Italians. But by that time, the technology was not so developed and the Vitis Vinifera, or fine wine grape uh, production, uh, they were not viable here. So they, uh, they discovered that the American grapes, the ones that uh, the origin is in the east of the United States, adapted well in this place. So in the beginning and up, even nowadays, the dominance of grape growing in Brazil is related to Vitis Labrusca and hybrids. We can say that, for example, for the Brazilian wine market, 60% of the Brazilian wine market is provided by wines made with Vitis Labrusca on hybrids grapes, okay? Uh, in the fine wine side, because in Brazil, fine wine is related to Vitis Vinifera grape growing and winemaking based on such grapes. Uh, the main grapes in our region are Merlot for reds, and Chardonnay for whites, and Chardonnay and Pinot Noir for base wine for sparklings. In Serra Gaúcha wine region, which is inside Rio Grande do Sul, and is responsible for 85 to 90% of the uh, wine made in Brazil. We do have several new regions, not, uh, not, so, uh, not so, I mentioned the south, east of Brazil and the northeast of Brazil. But even here in Rio Grande do Sul, near the border of Uruguay, in the south of Rio Grande do Sul, we are not in the hills, we are in a plain, or the Gaúcho side, 
on the Pampa side region of Rio Grande do Sul, we do have a very good production of Tanat grapes. Several producers uh, are, uh, are making very nice Tanat grapes, wines, Cabernet Sauvignon grapes, uh, wines based, uh, that came from near the border of Uruguay. Again, it's a region that developed more by the beginning of the 2000s. After we had a very, a very uh, high demand of grapes to make fine wine in Brazil from the beginning of 2000 to 2005, we had a lack of Merlot, Stanat, Cabernet, Chardonnay because we, ha we did have a surge in the fine wine consumption in Brazil. So several companies from Serra Gaúcha started to develop vineyards in this region near the border of Uruguay, thanks to the fact such region is not so uh, mountain-based. It's more easy to work. Uh, the climate also is a bit drier when compared to Serra Gaúcha. So uh, we developed several vineyards in that place. So Danat, Danat dominates such region. Uh, going north from Rio Grande do Sul, the next state is called Santa Catarina. Santa Catarina also was uh, settled by German and Italian people. And in such region, uh, mainly after 2005, uh, we had a, a lot of developments in uh, uh, Vitis vinifera grape growing. Now we do have a very nice production of Sauvignon Blancs, Sauvignon Blanc in, in such region. Uh, it's called uh, Vinhos de Altitude, or wines from the highlands of the south of Brazil. In such place, for example, we do have, it's the only place that in Brazil, not every year, but for several years, we do have snow. We are snow. In such region, is something like two, 1,200 meters above the sea level. Uh, in Serra Gaúcha, for example, the average is six to seven hundred meters above the sea level. In Campania Gaúcha, near the border of Uruguay, we are talking about two hundred meters above the sea level. If you go north and go to the southeast of Brazil for the winter harvest, uh, harvest winter harvest wines, uh, the dominance is with Syrah, Syrah grape, yeah? And in the northeast of Brazil, in that region, uh, equatorial climate region, uh, we do have Syrah, we do have Chenin Blanc, we do have also a lot of Muscat-based uh, grapes or Muscat-style aromatic grapes uh, intended in the past to make only uh, table grapes for consumption. And now it's a base uh, production use it also to make sparklings, mainly uh, Asti, Asti style sparklings. I saw on your website that you also make wine from Alicante Boucher. And what is that like? <laughs> it's a, it's a, I usually says that uh, we do have, we, we do have, uh, for example, I make uh, three wines with grapes like Alicante Boucher, Tanat and, and Ejodola. Such grapes, you don't, you don't have to extract color and tannins from the grape. They came from the field with the two hands full of tannins. Uh, and Alicante Boucher, one hand full of tannins and one hand full of color. 
Uh, Alicante Bruxelles is very colorful, is a, is a century grape, uh, mostly used in Portugal nowadays, making varietal wines, but it's used worldwide, uh, worldwide to, to color some wines. So our Alicante Boucher is very uh, strong in that sense, strong, it's very full-bodied in tanning content, it's not so alcoholic in our region. In fact, Serra Gaúcha is a region uh, related to, we can compare in terms of alcohol production and also climate behavior, uh, temperature, humidity, rain, rain uh, periods, etc. is comparable with perhaps uh, Bordeaux in that sense, not with the traditional side, of course, not so famous, of course. So uh, thanks to that, the Alicante Boucher is tanning, very tannic, uh, colorful, a good acidic content, uh, a good potential for aging, uh, a fresh wine, full-bodied for the Brazilian standards, of course, not in an alcoholic sense, but uh, fresh at the same time with dark fruit uh, expression, like amora, how to say in English, I forget the, the, the word, but uh, olive, uh, black olive, olive, black olive, and also uh, some bois expression, and if I'm not, wood expression, and also some aromas related to blueberry, but also um, dark fruits, dark small fruits, yeah. And Tanat, how is that different from Uruguay or from Madaran in France? Uh, in fact, uh, we can say that our Tanat, they resemble more Madaran than Uruguayan. Despite the fact that uh, uh, Uruguay climate and Uruguay general conformation of the terroir, let's say, in terms of climate, soil, uh, position, uh, normally we, our expression is not so far from Uruguayan style for red wines, okay? We can say that our tanats from Serra Gaúcha, they are normally more acidic and more, and they are fresher. Uh, the body is very similar in terms of tanning content, alcohol content, but uh, I believe that the main difference is related to the ability or the know-how of uh, uh, dealing with Tanat. In that sense, Tanat is probably 20 years ahead saying ourselves. We start to have more Tanats by the 1990s. For example, my father planted or established the Tanat vineyard in 1987, 1988, just after visiting what was going on in Uruguay by that time, because by that time, Uruguay was changing the viticulture and winemaking processes in order to uh, export more wine. Since they are a small country, they, they refurbish the entire vineyards, not changing from Tanat, but uh, uh, improving the Tanat area and planting other grapes using uh, better uh, vine material. Uh, free of virus, etc., in order to improve their in the industry, uh, the wine industry, uh, uh, toward exports, let's say. By that time, so a uh, Brazilian company decided to, to 
to introduce uh, 80 grape growers, 80 grape growers of Vitsvinifra grapes in Brazil to check what's going on in Uruguay. So such people went to Uruguay, among them my father, and then they came back. 12 of the 80 families that visited Uruguay to check what's going there decided to plant by that time uh, some uh, Tanat, Ejodola, uh, Merlot, and Chardonnay, not uh, uh, back in pergola system, but in VSP system. So, in fact, uh, my father and also another 11 families were pioneers in Serra Gaúcha in planting VSP by, the, by a time that there were no VSP production in Serra Gaúcha. We started to make winery 10 years after that in 1999. So, just I extended the, your, uh, the answer to your question about Tanat. But again, uh, we are making very nice Tanat in, in, the, in the last few years. Some people usually says, mainly in Europe, for example, usually says that the or mainly Tanats are comparable uh, to the, not the top ones Tanats, but uh, they are comparable to the best Tanats in, 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 in Uruguay. For example, uh, we at Pisato export some Tanats to France, Netherlands, UK, and we compete uh, in, in that sense uh, very well with uh, Tanats from Uruguay. Of course, I respect Uruguayan Tanats from my colleagues from uh, Bolsa, Garzon, uh, Deikas, which are top friends of my family also. Uh, they, they really make uh, differentiated tanat, in my opinion. Yeah, they do have they do have uh, the experience and the know-how that we are just beginning here. I, I believe. So the modern history of um, winemaking in Brazil is very recent. So everything is still developing. Yeah, I can say that the the big change in the Brazilian. Uh, the Brazilian wine industry happens uh, in the 1994, 1995. By that time, just after Brazil was open to in, to international uh, international wine, imported wine, and also Brazil open uh, economically, uh, so people in Brazil uh, started to visit other countries, tourists, and also business people. They started to, to be introduced to the wine cultures and the wine regions and wine uh, in the wine as uh, it was made by the 90s worldwide. Yeah. So when back to Brazil, such people uh, decided to, oh, why our wine is not in that way, not, not so contemporary, let's say. So uh, we needed to, to develop our industry. Uh, simultaneously, also the, the the world was open to Brazil, so several of ourselves, several Brazilian people, started to check what's going on in Europe, in United States, in Australia, uh, and even here in Uruguay, Argentina, and Chile. So we developed our production and initially, mainly in the grape and in the winemaking, mainly in the wineries, but. After improving and bringing technology to Brazil uh, and consultancy, better equipment, better communication for the wine sale uh, to, wine, to sell wine, uh, 
the, the main challenge was with the grapes. So by the end of the 1990s, several grape uh, wine producers started to plant in their vineyards and starting to demand from the grape growers uh, better material, better grapes. So by the end of the 90s, uh, we really uh, probably reached uh, a good point of maturity. And also, thanks to the uh, thanks to the French paradox news that came to Brazil by the way, by the end of the 1990s, we had starting in 2000, 1999, 2000, a surge in in wine, uh, red wine, red had fine wine demand in Brazil because the French paradox in Brazil uh, was communicated as related to uh, Vitz Vinifera wines, uh, uh, red wines, yeah? So, thanks to that, I believe that you recall that I mentioned a few moments ago, uh, by the 2000 up to 2004, we had a lack of uh, red, uh, Vitz vinifera grapes in Brazil and several in several uh, vineyards establishing started in the south of the Rio Grande do Sul near the border of Uruguay. So we really had a, a, a big a big expansion of vineyards uh, and uh, a growing interest on Brazilian fine wine from 1999 up to 2004. Back to 1999-2000, for example, we started to make wine in 1999, but we, we had a long tradition of grape growing, or Vitz Vinifera grape growing, since my great-grandfather that was trained by uh, French and Italian uh, technicians, technicians by the 1940s. But uh, in this time, uh, for example, in 1999-2000, we had, for example, the first uh, Brazilian wine guide ever dedicated to Brazilian wine. We had the two first uh, wine magazines dedicated 100% for, 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 uh, for Brazilian wine, for example. And then they started to, to develop also to cover international wine too, of course. But uh, it was a time that really uh, things really changed for Brazilian wine. Yeah? Starting by the mid-1990s and mainly in Vale dos Vinhedos, uh, the places that are located. But in, by that time, I was not a winery. For example, in 1995, in Vale, uh, vale dos was established as a wine tourism uh, place, inspired by Napa Valley. Uh, several producers by that time was provoked by a local, local provider of uh, enological uh, supplements or enological products. So uh, that people was provoked to visit Napa Valley. And then they, but not only from Valdivinos, for all Serra Gaúcha. If I'm not mistaken, they were uh, 30 or 35 uh, wineries that visited Napa Valley. And then they, they when they came back to, to Serra Gaúcha, the uh, four wineries that were in the visit to Napa decided to start an association called Apro Valley, or Associação de Produtores de Vinhos Finos do Vale dos Vinhedos, or Fine Wine Producers, or Vale dos Vinhedos Association, yeah? 
and they decided to start the, the wine route called Vale dos Vinhedos. And simultaneously, one of the producers asked for the others, oh, why not to start a uh, geographic indication at the same time? So uh, in Vale dos Vinhedos, we had simultaneously a, a wine route, the first wine route in the South America, the formal. Even in Argentina and Uruguay, by that time, or, or Chile, there were not uh, wine routes. The first one probably was Vale dos Vinhedos. But simultaneously, we started also, uh, that people started a uh, geographic indication that was recognized in 2001. Why? Why so much time after? Because there were no geographical indication rules in Brazil. The Vale dos Vinhedos started the first one and helped to the local authority in Brazil to start the Brazilian laws for geographical indications. Okay? So uh, this is, was the, the center of the change of the Brazilian wine. Thanks to Miolo Winery that originally established in Valdez Valduga, Dal Lorindo, uh, Don Candido, they were the, the top producers that started Valdez And probably thanks to that union around that idea, they started us to change the wine because one of these wineries was very pioneer in changing the style of the wine using new oak, small barrels, uh, barriques, uh, using also a contemporary communication. It was Miolo. That, there is no reason to not say. Miolo was a pioneer on that. Uh, Adriano studied international wine market by that time. And so he brought uh, to our region several ideas and also the change of the Brazilian uh, winemaking and wine communication. After that, thanks to their success, grape growers like ourselves started to make wine. Uh, so, uh, from 1998 to, to 2000, uh, if I'm not mistaken, more than 50 wineries started to make fine wine inspired by these pioneers, my colleagues from Valdez Okay. And who is drinking Brazilian wine? Because I saw that consumption in Brazil is quite low, about three liters per person per year which is very low compared to other wine-producing countries. So what is the market for Brazilian wine? Uh, who's drinking? Uh, Brazilians. Uh, Brazilians. Uh, uh, we can say that probably 98% of the Brazilian wine is sold in Brazil. Of course, the consumption, it was three liters per capita during the pandemics, because during the pandemics, we, we had a surge in wine consumption. High now, since last year, Right now, it's probably around 2.3 liters per capita, in fact. So, uh, when compared to cachaça, which is probably around 7 liters, and cerveja or beer, which is around 70, 70 liters per capita, we are pretty uh, low consumption in wine. But of course, there is, uh, there is room to improve that figures. After 2005, when we had uh, a big uh, overrating of our currency, uh, and thanks to that, uh, imported wine started to dominate uh, the consumption of fine wine in Brazil, or vitivinifera wine is dominated by imported wine. Not the, the whole figure of wine, because 60% of the wine in Brazil, the consumption is related to 
Vizsla Brusca or Hybrid Grapes, okay? But the remainder 40%, which is uh, fine uh, wine and fine sparkling, uh, is dominated by Chilean. Chilean has uh, 40 to 45% of the, the share of the fine wine consumption in Brazil. So, uh, since 2005, we had a, a, a improving sophistication in consumption of the wine in Brazil. And also, uh, slowly, there is a, a improving also in the consumption per capita. Of course, by that time, it was around 1.8 per capita. Now it's 2.3. It's increased, not so much, but people is drinking better. So, the share of the... Vitis Labrusca grapes, which is normally uh, a, a wine that is uh, sweetened using sugar, yeah, uh, is, is decreasing and is increasing the fine wine, which is normally uh, dry wine or at most demi-sec is not so sweet like uh, the one, the Labrusca wines. Normally, the people that consume wines in Brazil is is something like uh, the medium class, the high medium class uh, and above, mainly the fine wine, uh, the fine uh, or the Vitz Vinifera grapes wine, yeah? And the, the wine made with Labrusca is spread because even uh, high-incoming families still drink Vitz Labrusca uh, wines because uh, they, they, uh, they built the taste uh, or the preference around that kind, that style of wine, which resembles a lot with the, the foxy, the foxy side. They are used to that because, as I mentioned before, historically, uh, the Brazilian wine producing was based in Labruscas, mainly from the time that Portuguese people came to Brazil. And then after the big increase of the wine producing, during the, the end of the 19th, the 19th century, when the Italians started to, to make wine, not only for themselves, but also to sell. But by that time, thanks to technology, thanks to adaptation, the only grape that was uh, economically viable was the Vitis Labrusca, or the American grapes. Yeah? You make sparkling wine. Uh, tell me about sparkling wine in Brazil. Yeah, uh, sparkling wines are very, uh, very well established in the industry in Brazil. Uh, historically, uh, thanks to our climate condition and also the, the technology that came with the uh, international companies that established by the 1970s in Brazil, like Chambon, Martini Rossi, Pernod Ricard, uh, Almaden, who else? Uh, they brought with them technology to make uh, wine, but also sparkling wine. And thanks to the fact that by that time the production was mostly in pergolas, uh, they decided to improve their production of sparklings when compared to fine wine, still, still, yeah, still, still wine, fine, still wine, yeah. So we do, uh, in average also, uh, we are more challenged to have uh, good grapes to make still wine when compared to sparkling. Because sparklings, they are more technologically uh, dependent than grape or, or 
ripened grapes, yeah? But this is a thing of the 1970s, 1980s. Uh, and also nowadays it's easier to make sparklings in Serra Gaúcha than make uh, fine wine with with vinifera. And Brazilians, mainly during the 2005 up to 2012, by that time we uh, we recall that I mentioned that we were we had a lack of uh, red grapes to make fine wine grapes in Brazil. But uh, in 2005, when our currency overrated and Brazilian people wanted uh, red wine, uh, the solution for red wine was import wine, mainly for Argentina in the first moment. And thanks to the currency taxes uh, in favor of imported wine, from day to night, back to day, uh, Brazilian uh, steel wine was considered expensive when compared to imported wine. But not for sparklings. Why not? Because our competitors for sparklings were not South American wine. It was the European sparklings. Of course, our change rate was strong when compared to Euro also, not only for compared to dollar. But uh, for South America imported wine, there were no import taxes. And for Europe, there are import taxes. So thanks to that fact, the average perception of the Brazilians from 2005 up to 2012 was, oh, still wine, Brazilian still wine is, is good, but expensive. So uh, we had a, a very competitive time for still wine and sparkling becomes even stronger because before that, 70% of the sparkling consumed in Brazil was Brazilian. And after that, and it continues up today, 85 to 90% of the consumption of sparklings in Brazil is for Brazilian sparkling. So with uh, Brazilian sparkling is very strong in the mind of Brazilian. They are very, they, they have good price. Uh, uh, they have a good quality uh, when compared to imported sparkling. And again, our neighbors here in Argentina, Uruguay and Chile, they never, uh, except by the last five to seven years, they are investing a lot in sparkling, mainly Chile. Uh, in the past, they don't use it, they don't use, uh, they didn't use to uh, be big producers of sparklings. Argentinian sparkling, for example, is, is more, uh, is more uh, developed than Chilean, for example, but they, they had a lot of consumption inside Argentina for sparklings. And they were not interested in exporting to Brazil by that time, by the 2005, etc. So, uh, again, uh, in, the mind, uh, in the mind of the Brazilians, Brazilian sparkling is very good. And it, it's true, it's good, it's very good. In the traditional style, mainly in the Charmat or Cuvée closet style. And for uh, Asti like process, uh, or Asti process or Charmat, but with one fermentation only, uh, the Moscato like, uh, Moscatel like uh, sparklings, we are even stronger. Uh, Brazilians love such character for sparklings. And we are very competitive. 
even when compared to Italian ones, yeah? Competitive in terms of price quality uh, ratio, yeah? And again, uh, in, for several years, uh, despite the fact that uh, we do have a very good uh, reception, even for steel wine, still, of course, made with its vinifera because internationally, uh, Labrusca uh, wines, uh, not in the United States, of course, but in Europe and other countries, uh, uh, wines must have to be made with Vitz uh, Vinifera. Yeah? So, uh, internationally speaking, our sparklings are very respected because they, uh, they for the price uh, standpoint, uh, they, 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 they provide a very good uh quality price ratio yeah when compared to the still fine wine i can say that uh, the top uh Witz vinifera uh, beverages or wines in brazil uh, rates are both are almost the same the top ones for still wine and sparkling wine but the average is better for sparkling because in in steel wine, we do have a lot of variation. Still, thanks to the fact that we do have also a lot of variation among uh, vintages. We are in a region, we are in the new world, let's say, in terms of new world wine producers, but our climate and also Uruguayan climate is not desertic climate. It's a climate with no irrigation because we don't need irrigation. We do have natural water from the skies, yeah? So, thanks to that, as you probably know better than myself, uh, uh, we, we do have uh, vintage variation, like the world world uh, wine country. And your sparkling wine is the traditional method? Only the traditional method. I do make uh, two lines, both by traditional. The Pisato brand, which is based in Vale dos Vinhedos Vineyard, uh, we do have four sparklings, three of them with the duo Valdos Vinhedos, or denominação de origem Valdos Vinhedos, to be a duo wine, to be a duo sparkling with the Valdos Vinhedos uh, signature or uh, duo seal, you must have to use traditional method and at least 60% of Pinot Noir or Chardonnay or a blend of the two based wines, base wines. At least nine months, uh, sure lot. I use 15 months for my sparklings. I do have a fourth sparkling from Vardzinhas, but it's not permitted to be a duo sparkling because I sell it with the lease inside. It's a sure lease sparkling. Uh, so I, I, I don't make the disgorgement. I change only the crown cap and put the final cork, but without uh, the disgorging process of taking off the lease. For the Fausto line, my, my brand, which is related to uh, wines from my younger vineyard located inside Serra Gaúcha, but outside the small spot called Valdos Vinhedos, uh, I do make a, a brand called Fausto, from Dr. Fausto Vineyard. Such uh, sparklings are uh, eight to nine months surlat, also based on Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, but they are younger in the style. They are not far from a Cuvée closet 
sparkling or Charmat method sparkling. I usually joke that the Pisato line is more a black tie sparkling, uh, trying to, to mimic uh, champagne. Uh, and the Fausto line is a, a, a sparkling that uses Havaianas, yeah? So traditional, but not so traditional. So it's, it's younger in style, uh, not so more, it's fresher, it's, it's more fruit forward. But again, we intend to be at least 10, 12 months uh, so, so late in the future to be more in the midterm, but also characterizing it more, more as a traditional thing as Charmat, thanks to the thanks to the position that you need to be uh, when you make traditional thanks to the coasts and also characteristics itself. And which countries are your wines available in? Uh, United States, I am, I am available only in New York, but just a small selection. In the past, I was available also in California, but by the local importer, I stopped to import my wines. Uh, Canada, I am available in, in, in Montreal, in Quebec. And in the also UK, UK I, I, have, I do have a, a very good selection of my wines there, mainly the Pisato line, the top line, yeah. Germany, Netherlands, Belgium, France. But uh, in the past, I also exported to China, Japan. But these countries that I mentioned, they are regular uh, destinations. United States, uh, United States is not so regular. It's every two or three years. And also China, uh, Poland, uh, they are not so every year. But small quantities, very small quantities. I am in the, in the Brazilian, in the Brazilian, uh, how can I say, in the Brazilian general scene of wine production, I am a, a mid to small uh, size producer. I sell, yeah. last year I sold uh, 400,000 bottles. It's not small, but also it's not so big, like new old wineries in average. Normally they talk about uh, five, 10 million bottles. It's not our case, okay? Well, thank you. Um, that's been a good introduction to Brazilian wine. I hope my listeners have uh, learned quite a lot about Brazil and maybe try and find the wines in their local market. <laughs>